think we get confused between like equality and equity. For it to be fair, it has to be the same. We decided quite consciously right from the start that I would do more of the child rearing during the lockdown and stuff. And at the start, that was great. And then it became really difficult in the middle as all the resentment and stuff started to come back up because of the absolute tedium of parenting all the time and not having anywhere to go. Like I was like, do you know what? Like if you could just double up and I'll just do more and you can have a bit more peace, then can we just do that? And that kind of feels like we can never really be like ex experts at relationships, but that feels like going from like, oh, you're getting quite good at this <laughs> to like, oh, actually you're doing really well in that you're no longer clinging to that fairness. Hello, and welcome to the Grounded Families podcast with me, Julia Goodall, psychologist and coach. This is a podcast for all families navigating life, love and relationships. We delve into our stories and experiences of family and how these go on to shape and change who we are. I'm so happy to have you here. This week on the podcast, I'm chatting to the magic Kerry Jarvis. Kerry is the audacity coach and she's reclaiming the saying, who does she think she is? Kerry is a self-belief coach, a speaker, and a mastermind host, and an all-round magic human. I met Kerry on Sass Pedrick's self-belief coaching school. I just loved her instantly. She's one of those people who is warm and funny and bright and also challenges the status quo in a, in a light way. And I think there's real sort of magic in the way she does this, that she can talk about really difficult things in a very light and kind of funny way. So yes, if you don't follow her on Instagram as well, I really recommend her hilarious memes. They are very punchy. And also she has a wonderful newsletter which comes out every Sunday. We talk about all the things, about Carrie's journey into this work, um, about relationships, about being a human being in actual human relationships and making mistakes and what that looks like, showing up in business and looking at all the kind of intersections of feminism. And yeah, I hope you really enjoy this episode. So today on the podcast, I'm chatting to the wonderful Kerry Jarvis. Um, welcome, Kerry, and thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Hmm, pleasure. Um, so we have kind of dipped in and out of each other's lives and I feel like you are such a like a comforting presence for me on the internet, <laughs> like a, a friendly um, face with the most hilarious memes. And um, yeah, so we did the self-belief coach academy with Sass Petherick. It was so lovely to get like to know you a tiny bit better, but we still have not actually met in in real life, like in the flesh. Yeah, but do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, and then we go from there? Yeah, sure. So I'm Kerry. Um, I am the Audacity Coach, leading a reclamation of who does she think she is. So my work is really about um, subverting some of the ideas that we have about what it means to be a good woman or not, basically. And um, yeah, I work with mostly women with young-ish businesses and young-ish children on their businesses and on their stuff like on their lives as well supporting them really to really see more clearly what are the things that are 
getting in their way and how it all just makes sense that it is so stressful and challenging and Mm -hmm. exhausting and yet how that doesn't mean that we can't overcome some of those things. Mm. I love that, Kerry. And you're also like such a punchy mix of just like everything is okay here. It's just like a big sigh of relief getting into your space. And also that we can stretch ourselves and be like far beyond what people expect a woman to be and to do and to say. And I love that. I love that. You are yeah, just a kind of wonder on the internet. Thank you so much. Do you want to tell us like a little bit about your journey and how you got into like how you got into this work? Yeah, so um, like in a previous life, um, I used to be a store manager for Marks and Spencers, like selling oh, wow, sprouts and that. yeah, sprouts and knickers <laughs> and you know all of all of what comes with that. Until I had my eldest child eight years ago. Up until that point, I did not think that feminism was required in any way, shape, or form. Like my point of view at that time was like, I am more money than my husband. Like, what's all this nonsense? You've just <laughs> got to work hard. And, you know, I was absolutely clueless. Like I was ridiculous. Um, and then of course, like giving birth and becoming a mother, um, or just opened my eyes. Like it's such a cliche really, but you know, it's a cliche because it's true. Like it just reveals like a completely different um perspective on the world and how it works Mm. so after i had louis i decided that i wasn't going to go back to work um like my family lived far away we live in essex and my family are in yorkshire and it just it wasn't like financially worthwhile for me to go back but also i I kind of couldn't get my head around like how i was supposed to care about the same things anymore how i was supposed to be very committed to my career Mm and very committed to, you know, doing well and and all of that and like getting on and all of that. But I couldn't imagine like splitting my focus and being able to give the same level of energy to it. And I am someone who needs to, you know, like an all or nothing type of person. Like I really need to feel like I'm doing my very best at something Mm. as I just want to run away from it. Um, So I decided not to go back and when we'd had Louis, we'd learned hypnobirthing. Yeah. And I decided, like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to train to be a hypnobirthing teacher. Um, and, God, I remember, like, sitting in the classes when I was pregnant and kind of thinking, like, well, there's four couples here and they're paying this much. And so, really, like, I could earn a £1,000 for, like, 10 hours' work a month. And, like, it all seemed so simple, <laughs> so straightforward, yeah. so easy. And of course, like, um, you know, once I started that business, then there was the realization that, wow, there's actually like a lot more to it, a lot more work to do to, you know, build any kind of momentum, Mm. build a fantastic offering for people and brilliant service and also to get yourself known. So I started doing that. Um, I trained like almost this time eight years ago. And my first business was called Hypno Birthdays, which just makes me want to curl up and die. (laughs) (laughs) The cringe factor is so, I mean, if you could even see the logo as well, I had this awful like homemade logo, which was like an H and a B with like a birthday candle in the middle. Like I can barely (laughs) breathe just talking about it. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I feel like I I must Google that afterwards. (laughs) I must. (laughs) 
going to go and have a laugh in my Instagram <laughs> story highlights when I eventually mm. sold that business. There's like a stroll down memory lane in there and it's all there. But yes, yeah, so I, I run that business as like a you know person by myself doing that. And eventually yeah. um, it grew into like a studio and a team doing all kinds of different things, oh, wow. parenting and, and whatnot. Um, and it was rebranded as Do It Like a Mother, which is so much better. Oh, I'm sure okay. you will agree. <laughs> yeah, it is. Fair. Oh, so that is the same business. Okay. Yeah, and that's the same business. Oh wow, I didn't realise that. And that you sold, didn't you sell that in yeah. last year? Last year. I mean, luckily for me and not so luckily for the lovely people who bought it from <laughs> me. So um yeah. yeah, it went through on the first of February last year. Wow. After quite a long period of it was quite a, you know, a more complex thing to achieve than I probably initially imagined for all kinds of reasons um mm. yeah but they oh my gosh like Charlie who owns it now she's such a brilliant human like they've really done so many amazing things to support people through the pandemic and okay. now I walk past the studio on my way to the school run every day and it's mm. such a thrill like seeing it come back to life and seeing all these new yeah. mums kind of like you know the next wave of new mums coming through and finding like connection in that space and stuff it's it's really lovely so amazing but also that's incredible because it's you have so much um kind of clout in terms of the building of that business and having seen it to completion in your hands um and that's so lovely that's so huge for the I guess the people you work with as well yeah, I mean, to be honest, the whole reason that I started doing any kind of coaching was because other hypnobirthing teachers were asking me for advice. Okay. So, um, like, I was just kind of, you know, getting on with my birth-related business and started kind of adding in some extra services around, like, motherhood and sort of mindset stuff that I'd learned that was kind of related to hypnobirthing and that I'd been learning about from my own personal development and kind of bringing it all together to help new mums. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then bringing other people in. And then, yeah, other hypnobirthing teachers would um, just contact me and say, like, oh, I've done my training and I still don't feel very confident or I've been at it for six months and I'm not getting anywhere. You seem to be doing all right. Like, could I have a couple of hours with you for essentially, like, mentoring or consulting or, you know. Um, And it all just kind of went from there. Like, the first course that I ran was a course for hypnobirthing teachers, like, specifically about how to make their courses better and how to connect with their audiences better and whatnot and then that all kind of yeah evolved from there really so amazing I didn't know that I mean I knew about do it like a mother but I didn't know how it started and actually yeah the details of that that's so cool and I also hadn't realized that it was a like a bricks and mortar studio yeah oh wow that's so cool and that's such a different thing as well like a physical property and space that you're running is a like a very different thing to being online in terms of how you are physically holding that space for people and all the admin that goes with that yeah I mean it's not even just the admin it's like the tea bags and you know that's what I mean though (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's what I mean by the admin is like oh man and the bins and the yeah like the boring life stuff that has to happen I mean maybe it's not boring for some people but I would struggle with that sort of side of it um yeah wow that's so cool and so nice that you are um I guess free of that and the timing like wow (laughs) first of February 2020 I mean I have a I have some guilt that I've been working through (laughs) no no you know nobody knew but yeah I mean certainly 
for on plenty of occasions like over the past 18 months it has occurred Mm -hmm. to me that like if I still had all of that responsibility Mm -hmm. I would not be coping you know like it was just it it had all become too much and when I decided to sell that business I I I was kind of on the receiving end of a lot of um, what I might lightly call like misunderstanding or, or there might be other terms that would be so gracious, Carrie. but you know like people really well, almost kind of um like a, a kind of degree of like outrage like oh it's doing so well and it's all working like okay. how can you how or why would you sort of separate yourself from it and it's it's interesting when you create something like that because everybody it it kind of reminded me of when I used to work for Marks and Spencers because when I used to work for Marks and Spencers everybody feels like they own a piece of Marks and Spencers it's like such an institution in the country yeah and people feel yeah like just like an emotional connection which is great and it's what you need to be able to like build a community around a brand and whatnot but I think those lines can get really blurred uh, because it is a business and it, it is mm. work. And no matter how much you care about people, ultimately you're responsible for you know yourself and your family. If having too much on your plate is interrupting your joy and and your parenting and and everything else, then you know you have to um, take action. I think. Yeah. And how interesting also that you like had the audacity <laughs> to do that and that people really like it riled people. I also didn't know that, but yeah, that it bothered people so much. Like how dare she do something for herself mm. and make and choices honest, around, you know, like people have um, told me since, like I've had lovely conversations with people since and actually yeah. people who have become my clients since who said like I had to stop following you for like a few months when that was happening because I felt like you were kind of abandoning me like I felt like I knew you and like that was what you were about and when you were saying like oh I'm not that anymore I was like well that's it then we're kind of just disconnected perhaps because you know they were running other like birth related businesses as well and it seemed like that's all that connected us but yeah, it was really emotional uh, time mm. for, for a lot of people, obviously myself included. Yeah. And also, I mean, I, I guess what it says that you were doing something right, if people were feeling so connected to you that it felt personal that you made a change. And I guess there's something in that which you can hang on to. Tell me about the like sweep into audacity. Can you tell me like the meat of that? I'm really into it. The whole like, who does she think she is? I was very interested around that time in sort of exploring the topic of judgment. It all started, I, I ran this kind of, I can't even remember if it was like a workshop or like a mini course or something that was called like judgment jabs and it was like quick kind of like hits of things to help you to receive judgment differently I mean looking back at it now it probably like was not amazing (laughs) in terms of the deepened knowledge that I have um of you know how we receive criticism and like how we might process that for the training that um we've done with SAS for example it was probably a bit like foundational but I think that's important to mention because I think for any of us growing a business like we kind of think we have to jump to these wonderful finished products like yeah but yeah the reality is like there's drafts along the way so Mm. I think I guess that was kind of like the first draft of tackling this topic and then it, it became who does she think she is was the thing that I felt 
was sort of the recognizable thing that captured the essence of what I was trying to talk about mm. and then the audacity just kind of occurred to me and sort of um came from there mm. but yeah just that real clarity in my own experience at the time that the sense of the sense that we need to justify so many of our just like normal everyday choices or the way in which we exist in the world yeah mm. I find it I find it interesting I find it enraging and it's intended to be playful of course like of course it shouldn't be an audacious thing to I don't know like have a bath in the middle of the day or like not always be the one doing the school run or like charging the price you want to put like, of course it shouldn't be audacious mm is like in a world that demands like women exist in such a narrow Mm. portion of conditions it shouldn't seem like a bold thing to do to you know Mm. ask for what you want or whatever but it does require boldness but it is do you get lots of kind of backlash because of that you know what I get like the occasional fella like tipping up in my dms or in my comments being like oh, that's not true, like what you're saying, like you're making this up or, or, um, you know, just get over it and and all this kind of stuff because obviously they have this absolute blindness to what it is like to exist as a woman in this world. So in terms of what I directly experience, I get that. But I also have a degree of awareness of stuff that happens um, that isn't brought to me, that happens kind of, uh, for want of a better phrase, like behind my back. It's not really behind my back because it's online and it's not people that I know. But yeah, like conversations that go on about how maybe like frivolous it all seems or how kind of the perception, I guess, that these topics kind of lack depth because... I am trying to frame it in a fun and recognisable way. But actually, we deserve to be able to have some lightness in our lives. Mm. Like, existing as a woman in this misogynistic world is absolutely exhausting all the time. Mm. And if we can make it fun and if we can keep it on some level that makes it tolerable for us to continue having these conversations, then I think that's really important. Oh my goodness, yes. And I think that's what part of your kind of magic is, is that you're able to have these big conversations, like big, overwhelming, exhausting conversations with such a light touch. And I think that that's like really a bit of magic. Do you know what I mean? I feel like that's hard to do. Um, It's mission accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) Check. Oh my gosh. I guess also then you're constantly holding that space of, something is evoked for other people and it's not about me and doing that sort of work must also be quite tiring to just remind yourself that it's not it's not you it's the system and the stuff that is triggering for them but yeah it must be a bit a lot of noise to kind of wade through yeah and I think the work that we've both done with SAS in Self-Belief Coaching Academy it has helped me enormously like the stuff that we've worked through there around criticism particularly Mm. has really supported me like as I mentioned before being kind of an all or nothing type person I find criticism of my 
competence really challenging to mm. deal with I actually don't really care if people like me or not as mm. long as they think I'm competent um mm. and I remember I mean I don't know why I'm making this whole podcast like an advert for M&S it's the third time I've mentioned it <laughs> we'll send it over to them after <laughs> oh, I remember an occasion there where somebody told me so-and-so this bloke who um was kind of a colleague says that he doesn't like you but he thinks that you're really good at your job and me being pleased <laughs> thinking like I'll really take bothered. it like yeah um, and people kind of being surprised by that oh, aren't you upset and I was like well not really as long as he recognizes that I am awesome <laughs> I mean, this is this is like this sits with my therapist on a, on a fortnightly basis don't worry about me because how the coaching industry is how I kind of like fell into it to some extent and you know we know that it is unregulated and we know that there is a lot of encouragement which I participate in or have participated in around just sort of encouraging people not to be not to be kind of like penned in by you must have like a certain certification or training to have something to offer so I knew that when I started um, coaching people, it wasn't just about, oh, I've run this business. It was like, oh, I actually have been like a senior manager for like a number of years with like teams yeah. of hundreds of people. And I used to recruit and train graduates. And, you know, so it was all stuff from there as well. So I knew I had, you know, a significant degree of competence. But actually, when I reflect back, like there's, there's things that I've done that I would not do now um, mm. with what I what I know and understand about um, what is uh, safe and you know or what is kind of optimal for safety conditions etc and so like when I think about criticism and, and being on the receiving end of it like I, I'm generally quite a defensive person if I'm honest like especially if the criticism is around my sort of competence and contribution mm. and the work that we've done has really helped me to accept that I can be generally competent considerate conscientious person and still have not got gotten everything right along the mm. way. And I keep that in mind a lot. I revisit that a lot, like that kind of permission to, yeah, be not even inconsistent, just like be human, like the inevitability of everything mm. not being great all the time, like you yeah. not being at your best possible reflection of your values like all the time because – and this is not to abdicate responsibility, but just because you you find yourself in circumstances where certain practices are normalized and also mm. where people you respect and admire are demonstrating them. And so there's this kind of reinforcement there. Oh, this is just what, what we do here. Like, it's, yeah. this is all fine. So, yeah, I feel like I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but dealing with criticism. <laughs> <laughs> I love that also. It's so honest. And I think people who are saying they're anything other than imperfect, oh, there's like alarm bells for me um, and that's all you can promise I guess is that you keep evaluating keep looking and there's safety in that do you know what I mean I don't think yeah none of us have done stuff you know <laughs> without drafts as you say and those drafts are ongoing and this will be part of another draft do you know what I mean I feel like we have to allow each other that growth and that um, yeah our humanness um, and absolutely, I look back at stuff that I've done in work and career and I just ugh, like double over with shame. It's so it's so awful to look back at some of that stuff. But that is unfortunately the only way that we grow and it's OK. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I constantly remind myself like 
I could still be in a space of doing all those things. Like, you exactly. know, the, the mm. being able to have the, the new point of view is, yeah, uh, is optimal compared to not having the new point of view. <laughs> being stuck. But at least I haven't changed. Do you know what I mean? That seems like wild. Um, can I ask a little bit about, okay, so thinking about your feminism and as it's grown and changed and evolved, like what has that meant for your, like you as a wife and you as a mum at home? Oh gosh, I mean, I could probably <laughs> talk about this all day long. I would say there's like layers and levels of this. I think that when you learn something new, when you, so in fact, let me speak directly about my own experience. So when I first started to understand um, the patriarchal conditions within which we operate, I was so mad about what I was learning, but I was also so mad that I'd been like fooled and tricked into not thinking that this was going on. Mm. You know, it really pushed my buttons around. I am a competent, intelligent person. And it was like, ooh, are you though? Because look at all this and you had no <laughs> idea. Um, so it really, uh, yeah, sent me spiraling a bit. And because everything was so new to me, the difficulty for me was if I would bring any of this conversation to like my husband or my dad, I didn't have the answers to their questions or pushbacks. So they mm. would be like, yeah, but what about? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. And I would get so mad <laughs> and just kind of repeat myself and shout and stamp my feet <laughs> and, you know, just not know. But Ultimately, that then forced me to go and find out the answers to the questions and pushbacks yeah. and facilitated sort of a, an acceleration in my understanding. So there's definitely been some really like uncomfortable conflict. I don't know, not, I was going to say all very sort of surface level and not really affecting our relationships, but I don't know if that's true really. Like, certainly not dramatically affecting our relationships but definitely there have been days where like we or times when we've barely spoken for a couple of days because I've got the umpire about not being heard or understood about mm. something that I've said or you know the reaction to to something that I've said and, and usually it's because I'm mad that I cannot persuade them to agree with me or to mm. see where I'm coming oh, I from. relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really. Again, it's yeah. that undermining of our competence, isn't it? It's that like, yeah. well, if you were really clever enough, then you would be able to, you know, change <laughs> hold the world's this conversation opinion. and hold your own. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yeah, I really get that. So, yeah, there, there's definitely ways like that in which it's impacted our uh, relationship. But I would say, um, you know, Nick is coming along with me. I don't want to patronise mm. him, um, but definitely he is. I mean, we still disagree about elements of this stuff um, as we are bound to because his mm. point of view, like literal point of view of the world is so different than mine. But what yeah. I do know is that when we have a conversation and he takes a stance against me, um, he then takes my stance to his friends. Like when they start the mm. conversation, he kind of plays my part and so I think oh actually you know something good is is happening There's there growth in there and mm. it's like a stretchiness yeah and, and I don't think you have to agree on that stuff and actually it would be kind of strange if you did given the world that we do live in you know but we, I mean, we have two sons so my sons are eight and five and we had a bit of a to-do last week or the week before my <laughs> eldest 
said to me, um, Mum, do you like nuts? And I said, oh, I like cashew nuts. I don't really like these other nuts, blah, blah, blah. And he went, oh, do you want to suck on these then? And gestured towards his nuts slash testicles. <laughs> and um, I was absolutely devastated. Like, I... I didn't know what to do or say. I was like, I wanted to cry and throw up. And like, it was just all, it was just all too much. At the time I said to him like, oh my gosh, because he is such a, he's similar to me in that if I make him feel like he's got something wrong, that would be very like wounding for him. Mm. So then I'm like, okay, like who, where did you get that from? And it's like so-and-so at school and okay. And I'm like, right, not, totally sure like how to explain it all to you right now but that's something Mm. that we just can't say we just don't say that it's not appropriate Mm. like I want you to think about how they're like private parts and all of this and then I was trying to explain it to my husband later the kind of strength of my feelings about it and his point of view was really like oh it's it's you sexualizing this like it's not him sexualizing it it's you sexualizing it and you don't need to make it a big deal and he just couldn't understand, literally couldn't, not for want of trying, but could not understand like why I was so upset. And it took me a mm. while to be able to articulate it yeah. and to be able to say to him, like, you know, ultimately, as a girl and a woman, I, like all girls and women, have been on the receiving end of that kind of banter or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But around groups of men in particular, groups of men and boys. And the, the only purpose of that is to, like, humiliate and embarrass a woman or a girl and Mm. and you know the sense that you have that okay gosh now like everybody's sort of got a mental picture of of what is going on around this conversation and uh, like there's no way to respond to that that gives you the power back like you know that whatever you do it's like oh you can't take a joke or oh you're a slut or you know whatever it is you can't there's no way out of it and it, it was just it felt like this like glimpse into the future of like my my precious baby boy <laughs> mm. becoming this like lad who would be involved in making a girl or woman feel like that Oof, um yeah. and it just was so overwhelming to me so yeah we had this conversation and ultimately Nick did kind of come to understand my point of view and like when I had another conversation with Louie about it but yeah I guess it's one of those instances where it will never be immediately obvious, I don't think, to a, a male partner or parent, like why something feels mm. so intense. So threatening. Yeah. Yeah. And so overwhelming. Mm. Gosh, I hear you so much. And like allowing yourself a bit of time to actually be able to get to that and to articulate how difficult and awful and confronting that must have been. You just think like, ugh, not my child. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that feeling. Um, and I guess it's a healthy thing because like the structures are there and the stuff exists and mm. better to have those conversations at home than for this never to be spoken about. And like, if you hadn't made a big deal inverted commas and like not made a fuss and just let it go, that that's the way those things are internalized, you know? And to say like, actually that like affected me and I, I didn't like that. Um, and yeah, so oh, I think that stuff is so hard. It's like that winging at parenting of just going like, hold on, I just need to take a three hour nap. <laughs> I'll get back to you <laughs> with some important parenting advice, <laughs> totally. um, which and we like, can't do. 
and the <laughs> risk of shame around it all as well yes. you know like me really not wanting to shame him yeah because he doesn't deserve <clears throat> that like he's you know as far as he understands like he's not done anything wrong obviously in his mind it's just something funny like yeah, yeah so it just felt like a Oof. very complicated thing thing yeah it's also, and it's hard because you are raising boys and sometimes when you speak about raising boys, I feel a little jealous because I feel like, well, we've got a boy and a girl and I feel like um, I'm scared about what happens with women just generally and I'm scared about what that brings and what you have to protect like just enough from and make ready but not over-educate. Do you know what I mean? It's like that fine mm. balance all the time. Yeah. But I guess with boys like you have to do the same thing and that's the whole point is that we mm. are not um we're not going to find our way through this unless we're having those really uncomfortable conversations mm. and I love also like that you call yourself a feminist killjoy because it is it's that thing of like oh great now we have to have this conversation and it's like well yes we do <laughs> we really do and we have to have it again and again and again um until it doesn't feel like this kind of vomity Mm. And I guess it's yeah. like, um, you know, I'm always encouraging my clients, a lot of whom are sort of offered the term feminist killjoy as an insult by people in their lives, like to ask those people, like, why do you find it joyful, like being well, misogynistic? Yeah. And like, mm. why do you find it joyful? You know, whatever mm. it is, because, yeah, we have to get more sophisticated, surely, than like, oh, it, the only way we get to have fun is by like being derogatory towards women like there has mm. to be more intelligence out there than that yeah they, yeah <laughs> it's like we're asking more of you we see more in you than mm. this yeah <laughs> do do better yeah <sighs> and I think also you know how you and Nick have I mean I don't know that, like the details but it seems from the outside of how you have navigated things in a different way is that you work it's it seems that you are the main owner in the house is that right not right now. So okay, I'll tell okay. you a little, I'll tell you a little tale about tell this. Tell me a tale. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is something I think is a really interesting and kind of important point around sort of the as a kind of ebb and flow and temporary nature of our sort of solutions in our relationship. So when um, I had my business to start with, I went from being on maternity leave to starting my business like seven years ago ish. And I was maybe bringing in, a, for the first year, I was probably only bringing in like a couple of hundred pounds a month. Um, and then by the second year, I was kind of building up to like a thousand pounds a month and, and then beyond that. And um, my husband used to work quite long hours in London and I you know, felt very isolated and felt very much like I was kind of trying to juggle everything. Like Louis didn't mm. go to any kind of childcare till he was like three and went to preschool. And by that point, I was about to have another baby. And all of that, it felt like I was trying to spin a lot of plates and it felt like he was able to very much like compartmentalize his life and sort of walk out the door and leave it all behind. When our second was, I think about six months, we decided that he was going to leave his job. And I was saying, if I had the time to work full time, I could out earn you and you could be at home. He didn't particularly love his job, like working in finance yeah. and whatnot. And long story short, we were like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. So he gave in his notice at his job and he had to give like three months notice. 
And halfway through, he changed his mind and was like, no, I'm not doing it. And that was a really difficult time for us. Like that was such a difficult mm. time because I felt, okay, well, there's no like faith and trust here at all. Like it's all just lip service about, you know, my capabilities and what's possible for me and and all of this. So those were some really dark days yeah. for us. And then about six months later, he decided to go ahead with it. From this point of view, it, it's probably easy to listen to this and maybe think quite badly of him, I guess. But actually, from this vantage point, like, of course, that was a really challenging thing to do, to be conditioned all of your life, especially, I think, as like a very working class Essex boy who like watched people go to work at Canary Wharf every day on the train in their suits and like that's what Mm. providing looks like and that's what masculinity looks like to sort of walk away from that was a really challenging like huge terrifying thing yeah Yeah. a psychological hurdle I think to get over your identity being caught up in being the breadwinner similarly it's what a psychological burden it was to come to terms with being a mother and you know losing your career and everything else it was all kind of helped along by he took four months off shared parental leave when we had the second one as well so that was like a bit of a Mm. taster for us he was very lucky um he got full pay for that so it was an amazing amazing. thing and actually he was the first person in the bank that he worked for to take it it had been in their policy for four years and they'd won all these awards for it and everything and then no one had taken because it was culturally not really acceptable like it was there so that's kind of another story um, yeah yeah. so eventually he decided that he would uh, leave his job and our plan then he he finished his job like the same day the kids finished school for the summer and we had like a lovely summer we went to Devon we went to Ireland we went to Portugal and it was all like you know I was going to do my laptop lifestyle bit and like he was going to (laughs) be mostly looking after the kids And when the kids went back to school, I was going to work full time and he was going to be like the carer. I say back to school, like Rory was at home, maybe. Yeah, he was at home all the time. So one at school, one at home. Mm. And then it turned out after a few months that like that just did not work for us. I had kind of been so determined that he needed to experience what my life was like like I've done this all this time now you need to do this at the time I was kind of possessed by this determination that we would switch and that was how Mm. it had to be there had to be this like compensation binary yeah yeah looking back at it now I cannot quite believe it was like being possessed by this concept that like fairness what would what would be Mm. fair my experience you know you must experience like the same difficulty as I have same suffering yeah exactly (laughs) oh my god yeah and then yeah we realized it just wasn't really working for us and so for a few months like I was the only owner um and then Nick went into like a consulting role we started to share like uh you know like this very bold and out there idea that we would share like the childcare and the (laughs) you know, domestic drudgery and everything else. So, yeah, I think that must be, I think it's three years ago that he started working from home, you know, before everyone else was working from home. (laughs) Before it was cool. Yeah, mostly (laughs) at home. And from that point, we started just both paying the same amount into our bank account from our businesses, uh, sharing the drop-offs, sharing the pickups, sharing the bedtimes, 
he does the cooking, I do the laundry, and everything else is just kind of, you know, we sort of uh, muddle on through. But I don't want to paint a picture that since that, you know, that arrangement has just kind of smoothly um, continued without many a bump in the road, for sure. But yeah, then once pandemic times hit, what was really interesting to me was how it sort of reactivated all of those feelings about like, well, gosh, hang on a minute, like, Nick's work is consistent and reliable and well-paid. My work is less consistent, less reliable, more like peaks and troughs. Mm. Um, And essentially, you know, my client base is, is a group of women similar to me who were also largely dealing with um, situations of kids being at home and less time to work and less energy and capacity for work. So we decided quite consciously right from the start that I would do more of the child rearing during the lockdown and stuff. And not that he would just get completely let off the hook to work in peace. I had commitments. I had things I still needed to keep up with. Um, But that essentially sort of his his stuff would be booked in first and then mine would be kind of booked around it and we would sort of go from there. And at the start, that was great. And then it became really difficult in the middle as all the resentment and stuff started to come back up because of the absolute tedium of parenting all the time and not having anywhere to go. Oh God, it's all just such a blur, isn't it? It's all such a long period of time that this has been going on for. Um, Mm. But there were periods along the way where I just didn't pay us for a month. Like I was like, do you know what? Like, if you could just double up and I'll just do more and you can have a bit more peace, then can we just do that? And yeah. that kind of feels like, you know, like, a, I mean, we can never really be like ex- experts at relationships, but that feels like going from like, oh, you're getting quite good at this <laughs> to like, oh, actually, you're doing really well in that you're no longer clinging to that fairness like I think we get confused between like equality and equity and yes yeah so like clinging to that you know for it to be fair it has to be the same yeah and it has to look the same but we're just swapping places yeah 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 it's it's been a journey and a half to be honest Mm. Um, oh my gosh yeah (laughs) it's so amazing though Carrie like and I think that is the crux of it is that you can negotiate those roles and that's the thing like that's the doing it you know what it whatever it looks like doesn't actually really matter that much as long as it's working like for you guys at this time you know in these businesses in this format whatever um and so, yeah, it does sound like you are kind of smashing that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the kind of the sharing of the parenting and the, ha- you know, the adulting and the money stuff, we've definitely, um, I feel like we've definitely cracked. But that doesn't mean, as I said before, for sure, that we're just like happy all the time and of course. Uh, not rowing about stuff. And I think these like realistic expectations are so important. Yeah. It's, I won't say who because it feels mean, but there's a there's a couple who I kind of, I don't really follow them and their work anymore, but they're kind of like a couple in wellness. Okay, it, It's all so beautiful I mean they are beautiful both of them are like beautiful like otherworldly <laughs> beautiful it's, it's really positioning love as this I don't know this really kind of pure I don't know there's something about it that's like very sort of it's it's mystical and, and I'm not saying love isn't those things but you know for me love is like this morning 
I woke up with like a five-year-old on my head and I was like, I just cannot, I cannot wake up. You know, those days when your head is, uh, your body is waking up, but your head just will not wake up. To me, love is like, you know, getting up and like realizing we need Weetabix and going to the shop and bringing me a coffee in bed and starting the pat lunches. I'm like, I'm yeah. here for this. Like, I don't really want to be worshipped. <laughs> like, I just want that stuff In the done. bliss state. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the weird, shiny Instagram filter bliss state. Yeah. I totally agree. And there is something so riling about that, I guess, because it doesn't reflect any anyone else's experience. Um, yeah. And just makes other people feel a bit shit. Um, yeah yeah so I love that you talk about that sort of side of love and like uh, there's a lot of slug and there's never a destination like you don't get me like oh wow we're like we've won relationships we're the winners (laughs) yeah exactly and I guess that's what I want to like bring that uh, when I've said like oh we've kind of hit expert level here like just to be clear that I'm not saying you know that we've kind of transcended all of the daily (laughs) drudgery um yeah I just think it's about maybe learning we've we've really learned how to communicate much better and how to let go of sort of holding anything over each other really like just being on the same team I guess is the the summary of it even though it doesn't always feel like you want to be on the same team but (laughs) ultimately you are yeah oh I love that I love it so much and thanks for sharing like so openly and so honestly about all of that journey because I feel like it's so comforting to people to know that this is like you are two successful people and life is like like some of it is drudgery and some of it is hard and some of it is wanting to punch your team member in the face <laughs> and that's okay like there's nothing wrong with you um yeah so thank you so much for sharing all of that like oversharing is a special gift of mine so <laughs> anytime <laughs> I'm a safe space <laughs> for oversharing oh Kerry mm. thank you so much do you want to tell people where they can find you yeah, Instagram is basically my like spiritual home. So just come and find me there and the links to anything that is worth looking at are in my bio there. Perfect. Thank you, lovely. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd like to get in touch with Kerry, you can find her on Instagram at Kerry underscore L underscore Jarvis. And there you'll find links to ways you can work with her, how to hire her as a speaker, work in her mastermind, all of that stuff is there. And don't forget to sign up to her newsletter, which comes out every Sunday and is a real treat. Thank you so much for being here today. If you'd like to get in touch, I'm on Instagram at grounded underscore families. You can send me a DM or a voice note to my DMs or an email. I'd so love to hear from you. Please do like, share and subscribe this podcast. It really, really helps to get the podcast out in front of more listeners. And I'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye.